Hello, and welcome to Local Legacies, the show where we go behind the scenes with enterprising individuals who are striving for the best in their business, family, community, and themselves. I'm your host, Tim Lanza, and without further ado, here's this week's guest. Hello, everybody. We are back again here today with Matt Majikas, a good friend of mine and the man who actually was gracious enough to allow us to use the studio space we're in right now. So how you doing today, Matt? I'm doing great. I'm glad to finally be a subject of of this podcast and not just the uh, the physical space host. I've seen what you've been doing all along and, you know, we've, we've talked about this for a long time. So it's nice to finally be the guy that's you know, connecting with you on the real level and being a part of, you know, your passion for this, which I admire. So I'm very glad to have you here. And obviously, as we both know, you've got a crazy schedule. So I'm lucky that we got some time. Facts. So the kids say these days, right? Facts. Something like that. (laughs) Uh, Why don't we start out with um, you? You've got actually like a lot of different facets to your business and it's kind of ever evolving. So start at the beginning. Oh, wow. The beginning in the beginning. Um, World record DJs, um, which um, will be p- actually put to rest this year. We can talk about that more later. Um, I started the business in 2007. Uh, when I say started the business, um, I graduated from college. Um, I went to a small private school in St. Louis, Missouri. I moved from my hometown in Sterling um, and uh, got a degree in radio and television broadcasting from what was a phenomenal educational experience. Wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, excuse me. And um, while I was there, the job that I had to make ends meet and pay my college bills, I worked for a DJ company called TKO DJs. Anybody who's ever been to St. Louis uh, or or specifically lives around St. Louis, um, TKO is the largest DJ company operation in in the area to the point where if you lived within a two-hour drive radius of the city of St. Louis, TKO DJ'd your birthday party, your homecoming, your prom, your wedding, your anniversary party, and maybe your funeral. I mean, this company had been around for a long time, and they had 30 wedding DJs, not necessarily wedding DJs, but DJs in general, um, that worked for one company. And saying that today makes my hair stand up. I can't imagine having a company that big. Logistically, just crazy. They owned 30 systems. They had you know, 10 vans, you know, they had all of this crazy logistics. My company as it stands today, not nearly as big, but uh, it inspired me to, to start my business. Um, I worked for a guy by the name of Lester Barr, is now a dear friend, um, and he was a, one of my great mentors in the very beginning. Um, I remember saying to him in a bar one night, we'll go right off off the, right there, because we'll go right to the bar, that's easy for me to talk about, but... Um, I said to myself, man, I love this TKO DJ. So like, maybe I could open something in New England because I knew I was moving home. I was going to go chase my, my radio dreams because at the time I wanted to be a radio DJ. Anyway, he looked me dead in the eyes and he said, why the hell would you do that? He goes, you're smart enough. He goes, start your own thing. You don't need TKO DJs. You're you. Go do you. And I never forgot that. So when I moved home, um, I say I started the company. I borrowed $1,000 from my dad. I bought the shittiest DJ system the internet had to offer. It was, you know, plastic microphone from Radio Shack, a couple of little 10-inch speakers. You're remember yourself there. I know. Radio right? Shack. And I had a stack of compact discs, right? And and uh, I remember the first DJ system I bought, I bought it from 123DJ.com, right? there. So that's, you know, how advanced I was at the time. This is August of 07, if I remember correctly. 
the system came in the mail and I'm, I'm God only knows where the system came from, but none of the parts matched the pieces. I had no idea how to build a rack case. I just knew how to talk into a microphone and, you know, play Love Shack at the time. Um, printed up some business cards. Um, a quick little fun fact, World Record DJs got its name because I very insanely attempted a Guinness Book of World Record in 2004, my freshman year of college. I don't even want to talk about that. It was just a dumb thing. Uh, Mulligan's Miniature Golf, the owners up the road here. Um asked me if I wanted to do it. So whatever, I played miniature golf for 24 hours and they published me in a book. Fast forward to 2007, my dad and I were sitting around having a beer and uh, I said, well, you're in the Guinness Book of World Records and you're a DJ and bang, World Record DJs was born. It started as my side hustle, right? It, and that's, I, I said to myself, you know, I'd like to get to a point where I had high enough quality speakers and microphones that I could go and do a wedding or go do a high profile event, but was doing backyard parties and favors for friends at that point and so that's really when the the business itself uh was born um i don't know how far you want me to go all the way to today but um it was something that i did um on the side of um working at a radio station i got hired at wxlo radio right out of college i was a, a street teamer i was a glorified uh, I would I would drive around in a Volkswagen Beetle throwing T-shirts at people at radio station events. And then on the weekends, I would go out and, um, you know, DJ an event or two. And then um, I actually worked for uh, the minor league baseball team, independent minor league baseball team in Worcester as their public address announcer. So at that time of my career in my life, uh, living the American dream in my mother's basement. Um, and that life. And had, yeah, and it was great. And had, you know, had what felt like 10 jobs. <clears throat> um, so that that's... You know, when it was born, um, fast forward to today, it's it's going away. We're changing the name of the business. We're rebranding, and it's because the company has evolved exactly how I had imagined and hoped. Um, so we can talk about that some more later, but I think that answers, you know, kind of the core of what you were what you were getting at. Yeah, so I think this is a common theme with people kind of starting out their own business. You dip your toes in the water, and you had, you know, at least three different areas were you drawn to this more? How did that affect like your other jobs? Did you see a path in your other jobs like you saw it with this business? Yeah, no question. So <clears throat> in uh, I'm going to go back in the timeline a little bit here. Um, but in 2005, um, I needed an internship. Okay. And um, okay, ask around. Um, I was always coming home for the summers, um, you know, working at the athletic club in Lancaster trying to pay my bills. Um, and so the Worcester Tornadoes, which is no longer, was an independent minor league baseball team in Worcester. The head coach of the team is a former um, player for the Boston Red Sox, um, Rich Gedman, a sweetheart of a man. I think very highly of him. Um, his cousin was my little league baseball coach, right? It's all who you know. So uh, go through the, the six degrees of separation. I called my old little league, little league baseball coach, and he said, all I can tell you, is that the Worcester Tornadoes are having an open audition for public address announcers. That was it. I said, ooh, yippee, you know, I was a young Wiley broadcast student, so I called my mom. I'll never forget this. She said, Mom, I need a plane ticket for 600 bucks to fly home for a night to go to this open audition, and I want it to be my internship. And my mother said, well, you know, shit, how much we spent on college at this point? What's an extra 600 bucks? So she flew me out. I flew from St. Louis to Manchester, New Hampshire, walked through the, the gates of the stadium. It was at uh, Holy Cross College. Um, 
I forgot to pack dress pants. Okay. So my big thing was, well, I can't walk into my first ever, you know, audition dressed like a college kid. So I like drove from the airport, put the pants on in the, probably still had the tags on and walking into the stadium. I'm exaggerating, but you know me. And, uh, there were 50 people there. And I said, how is a 19 year old kid going to win this audition? There's no way. Right. Cool experience. Got it. Got to come home for a weekend, see my parents hop on a plane, fly back because I have class, you know, on Monday. My phone rings that Friday night and it's the marketing girl for the team who said, we loved your audition. We've narrowed it down to seven guys. Can you be here on Monday for a follow up? Called mom, another $600 plane ticket, turned around, flew straight back. Walked through the doors, the most nervous I had ever been in my broadcast career. My hand was shaking while I was reading. Soon as you put this microphone in front of your face, your whole mentality changes, right? Two great fears in life, death and public speaking. And so here I am with these older guys, these grizzled radio vets standing over my shoulder. I'm 19 years old. I'm sweating while I'm reading. That's how nervous I was. Got back on the airplane, uh, airplane, 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 flew home, um, or flew back to, to school. She said, you know, great experience. It was actually Easter weekend, I remember. Got to be with my family. Uh, where I, whereas I normally wouldn't because I was out in St. Louis. The phone rang, and the girl said, uh, I've got good news and bad, bad news. W- what would you like first? I said, just give me the bad news. She goes, um, you're about to sell your soul to the Worcester Tornadoes for $25 a night. I said, well, what's the good news? She goes, you're going to be the public address announcer for the Worcester Tornadoes. It's the most high-profile gig for a, a broadcast student in college, right? And so microphones right, have always been in front of my face, and I've always been comfortable. From from the age of 14 or 15 years old, when I was a lector at St. Richard's Church in Sterling, I would leave church, and people say, you've got a great radio voice. You would be a great radio DJ. And that always drove me. I would listen to what people told me. Well, yeah, you're right. I do have a great voice. You're right. My face is another thing, but my voice is... Great is, face for radio as that's, well. That's, yeah, a face that a mother could love, right? Anyway, I don't know why I did that to myself, but we'll move on. Um, it, it, it always drove me. And so then here I am. I now am a $25 a night public address announcer. It's my first year, and I have to um, secure an interview with someone that I aspire to be. Okay? Um, and this was just a really full circle thing. In 2004, when I was living in St. Louis, probably one of my great claims to fame was I was able to secure a ticket to see the Boston Red Sox win their first World Series in 86 years. I was in attendance at Bush Stadium in 2004 when they reversed the curse. You know the story, okay? Fast forward to 2006. The public address announcer for the Boston Red Sox, who lived in Southbridge at the time, okay, happened to be at a Worcester Tornadoes game. I got wind of it, called him on his cell phone. I'm trying to remember how the hell I got his number. He's in heaven now looking down. Um, and spoke to him and he said, I'll come and talk to you after the after the game so the game wraps up you want to talk about being nervous here i'm about to meet carl bean voice of fenway park and uh i grabbed the the little audio recorder that the play-by-play guy had and i said carl go right so what is this? just me me and him shooting the breeze 50 years between us maybe 45 years in age between us and hit it's crazy what he said to me that day i could probably i have the recording i could probably recite it word for word it's weird. It's really weird. He would say things like, Matt, there are three C's you want to be. There are three C's you do not want to be. You want to be 
clear, concise, and correct. You do not want to be a clown, a comic, or a carnival barker. He said, I used to sit in my car parked across from Fenway Park and couldn't get over the fact that it sounds like me. Ah, oh, right? Powerful, powerful words. I'm getting the chills telling them to me, right? Can't, we'll never forget it. So now here I am taking a picture with Carl Bean, the voice of Fenway Park, holding up the 2004 World Series ring on my finger, which I attended that game 1,200 miles away from home in this kind of full circle, cool experience. Um, took a picture with me, saved it, saved the interview, went back to St. Louis, sat down with my, um, my communications teacher, um, Eileen Solomon. Oh, what a wonderful woman. And she goes, who do you interview for your professional interview? I said, the voice of Fenway Park. She goes, perfect. Right? Aced that internship, and I got paid to do it. Didn't offset the $1,200 in plane tickets that my mother had to buy to get me the gig. Um, but it, it was the foundation of everything for me, really. Because from there, I was walking through the university center one day, saw a flyer for TKO DJs. I pulled the flyer, started working for TKO DJs. Six months later, they gave me a raise because I was the most requested DJ in the company, right? I would come home for the summer, announce the Tornadoes games, and the on-field MC, Dave Peterson, is now a dear, dear friend of mine. He was uh, uh, one of the sales guys at the radio station that I eventually got hired at. So it, that that is just this kind of, I don't know, I don't know what the word is, but this kind of ironic path where I was doing all these things that included microphones. I just followed my heart, followed my gut, and it led me to a career in radio. What do you attribute that to? Because, it, it, I mean, it sounds like, I think you're very introspective. You've taken a lot of time to think about your own life. Sure. But, Always. you know, it sounds like you got really lucky, and I don't really believe in that. You know, I hate when people say it must be nice because that's mm -hmm. bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these things that you did, you put yourself in a position to do, mm -hmm. and you stepped up to the plate when you were there. It wasn't just a matter. Like, you didn't just fly home and go to that interview. 100%. You obviously put in the work and got the job. True story. Um had that not worked out, let's say I didn't win that audition. Let's say it, I, I firmly believe I'd still be sitting here talking to you. It just would have taken a different path. Because at the end of the day, your passion and your work ethic and your get shit done mentality, which I've always had, that's Lithuanian, that's ingrained in me. Um, you know, I'll share this piece of it with you. So now, so now here I am. Um, I'm making $8 an hour as a street teamer for the radio station. I'm making $25 a night as the public address announcer. And at the time, in 2008, there was all these really scary radio ads that said, as of this date, you are required to have health insurance in the state of Massachusetts, right? And I remember thinking to myself, geez, I need health insurance, and I'm not covered anymore because I graduated from college. This was the, di the day and age. I walked into the uh, general manager's office at Citadel Broadcasting in Worcester, this woman in charge of three radio stations and um, six radio stations in two markets. And I said, Bonnie, I will push a mop if it means health insurance. And at that point, pushing a mop probably paid more, right? She goes, okay, kid, I'll give you a shot. I was sent to, I can't, I forgot about this, wow. I was sent to Mohegan Sun Casino that following day to interview to be the 3 to 7 p.m. evening drive, which is evening drive in the radio world. That's, right, that's morning and evening drive. That's when you've made it in your career, right? To be the evening drive uh, DJ at 102.3 The Wolf, which was the radio station 
in Mohegan Sun Casino. I'm 22 years old, interviewing to be a DJ on a classic rock radio station. Think of this. The, the, the gig was for $22,000 a year. I lived in Sterling. It was an hour and 40-minute drive from my parents' basement, right, to get to this job every day. I was thinking to myself, I'd have more luck and make more income if I took my paycheck every week and put it in play after my shift was over. Why am I interviewing for this job, right? It's like I'm going to have to move, and I'm going to have to live on $22,000 a year. And I walk in. I sat down with a guy named Kevin, o- Kevin O'Connor, handed him. I was, a, I was voice tracking an oldie station in Worcester. I was a 7 to 10 p.m. DJ. I can tell you more about that in a minute, but um, loved my audition. Went back. I got a congratulations from the general manager. You're, you're moving to Uncasville, Connecticut. Congratulations, right? Go home. I'm crying. I'm like, Bob, I got the job. I got the job. I got the job. So I start looking for apartments in Connecticut. And I, I um, trying to remember the timeline. Oh, it was, the, it, was the, it was, she goes, come see us on Monday. We'll start the paperwork. I show up on Monday. Now, this could be, to your point, to, I'll let you talk after this. To your point, you know, you're, you're just lucky. I walk in, and she goes, so. That's I'll, not my point, by the way. Well, well you right. Know no, I, that's not yeah, your yeah. point, but that, that's what people right. will say, of course. And, and I got the, well, I've got good news and bad news for you line, right? The, the good news is, or the, or the bad news is, you're not the evening drive DJ at 102.3 The Wolf. We gave it to a guy that's been down there for a long time. It's just think it's a better fit. The good news is, you're the new sales assistant. Congratulations, Sonny. There's your desk. And you have health insurance now, and the pay's exactly the same. And I said yes to that gig, right? Because I had to. Really. Because my parents would probably not be happy if I came back and said, oh, yeah, it didn't work out, Mom and Dad, and I'm going to go. You know, what do you mean? We just paid for you to go to St. Louis for four years, and now you're not going to work in radio? And that, and, and that's, a big, that's a big thing, because a lot of people don't do what they went to school for. Okay, but I think, that dri- I think that drives home your point. So now here I am at a big crossroads in my career that now I'm working for a radio station, but I'm not doing radio technically. I was announcing ball games, I was DJing on the weekends, and I was doing some part-time DJ hosting. Um, but my income was now selling advertising to businesses. It was a big change for me. So it also, I guess, put you in a position um, sales-wise to like accelerate your income, oh, I'm no assuming. Doubt. Oh, no doubt. But before you know probably before that was happening i think an important skill set you probably developed or a situation you put yourself in whether you realize it or not is like what's it like to work for basically no money and just go in every day and bust your ass so i'll tell you here was my average day okay i would get to the radio station around eight o'clock if it was a sales meeting i you know i'd get there at 7 30 i would um so this was in june of 2008 I was told I'd have a year to get my feet wet and learn the business and then decide if I wanted to be a full-time salesperson. I was the fax machine guy, the coffee guy, right? The housing market crashed in June of 08. Largest advertiser at the radio station, quarter of a million dollar advertiser, the Sleepy's Mattress Center. When everybody loses their houses, you really don't need a mattress anymore, right? <laughs> or maybe they do. Just it's not just, in the house. It's just <laughs> it's in a cornfield somewhere. Uh, they canceled all their advertising. And listen, this is a big corporation, one of the largest radio operators in the country that owns this radio station. What do you think they want to, to fix that? My sales manager, Bob Zampa, another very great 
influence of mine. So some might say I'm lucky. I'd say I'm blessed that I have been around some really talented and smart people. I've also been around people that if they got hit by a bus, it'd be okay. I hope they live, but they're just really injured. Knowing not to cut you off, but knowing which ones to follow is really important. And not you know you can you could have picked 100%. you could have picked the losers. Yep. And so Bob walked into my office and he goes, Matt, you want to double your income? Yeah. He handed me a copy of the Yellow Pages. This is shit. You, the Lanza boys aren't. I don't even think you guys are old enough to remember the Yellow oh, I Pages. Remember. Do Come you on. remember? You okay, I know. Mail to the house. Yeah. But at this time, this was when the Yellow Pages started to go away because internet listings and you know Yelp and all that stuff was really kind of booming. And he said, all of the money that's in here has to go somewhere. Dropped it on my table and said, here are your budgets. If you can sell $20,000 a month in radio ads, you'll double your income. Good luck. Start dialing. And I started in the A's. And there were mornings, man, where that phone, look, you looked at it and go, that phone weighs 2,500 pounds. I, I made a, a living out of being told to go to hell 99 times and hope that that one furniture guy or that one auto body shop or that one tire guy, right? And then anybody that didn't answer, you go, I'll just walk right in there and see if they throw me out. And that's literally what I did. So I did that from 9 to 4.30, okay? 8 to 4.30. At 4.30, I'd walk across the hallway to the production side. If I had an order from one of my clients, I would write their 60-second radio script for them. Now I'm using my broadcast education. Go and sit down in front of a computer, voice the script, record it, mix it down. Okay, Stowe High Insurance and Dudley's all set today. They got their 60-second ad. We'd upload it into the system. I would go into – so radios changed dramatically. It used to be live all the time. If you're listening after 5 o'clock, unless it's a talk radio station, it very rarely is live. I talk about that kind of anecdotally, whatever. You get the point. This idea of voice tracking would come up. So I would walk into a closet a literal closet with a microphone in it and go, ORCFM, oldies 98.9, the greatest hits of the 60s and the 70s. It's your host, Matt Majigas, and I got to get out of here. Now the Beatles, right? And I just, I would pre-record a three-hour show from 7 to 10 p.m. and go home and sit on my couch and listen to it. Um, and I would record it at 4 o'clock, 4, 4.30 every day. I would leave there. I drive over to the baseball stadium to pick up my check for well, so I got a raise by then, so I was making fifty bucks a night. I was making fifty bucks a night, right? Uh, and I'd go over there. I would wake up at you know, or I'd excuse me, I'd leave there at maybe ten or eleven o'clock at night. Wake up the next day if it was a ten game homestand or whatever it was, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And if I had, if my DJ company had a gig on the weekend, if I was you know DJing somewhere, I would go there and DJ, right? So uh, it truly is cliche, but the harder you grind luckier you get if that's how you want to look at it right what do you think the difference is between someone like yourself who went into that where it's like here you go start dialing and you grinded it out versus someone who just crumples or what i would sure. i would think is even worse is like the guy that goes in and it's like well i gotta get 40 dials a day so I just go in, I make my 40 calls, and then <laughs> yeah, I go home, yeah, and yeah. I make $22,000 yeah. a yeah. year for the rest of my life. I never looked at it that way. You ever see the movie Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith? Yes. Right? Super inspirational, true story. I'm a sucker for true stories. And I'll, I'll cry when I watch that movie because uh, there's a very specific scene in there where he's got this big, he's trying to keep his life together, right? He's trying to stay out of homeless shelters. He's sleeping in bathrooms in subways. 
and he looks at this giant list of these cold calls he has to make. And he, there's this one very specific scene I'll never forget, and he just kind of slides down to the bottom and he goes, let's call that guy, right? And that's how I always looked at it. Why would I w- want to work harder, not smarter, right? Because the guy in the cubicle next to me, whose name was Matt, folded like a like a towel. I mean, it was – he. He got the, the pressure would get into him. He would get all panicky. If someone did answer the phone, he didn't know. And God bless the kid. It's a very difficult thing to do is to basically call and beg for money. Um, and then there was the other side of it and almost a very specific story. That same guy who handed me the yellow pages. And oh, by the way, real quick, I did double my income that year, which is nice. The same guy who handed me that um, copy of the yellow pages, whose job is to hire the next me, specifically told me one day he brought this kid in just graduated from bu right bu right and he's got a communications degree and the kid sits down and goes okay so uh yeah your entry level pays twenty two thousand dollars a year but you could make a hundred right and here's your compensation plan and he 22 year old kid looked younger than me looked him right in the eyes and said well i need at least seventy five thousand dollars and he just i mean you just laugh him right out of the room you know you there, there's, there's the big difference, right? It's the guy that says, okay, show me how to get to $75,000 versus the guy that says, give it to me. Right. And even going back before that, when you're, you know, driving around in the Beetle, throwing T-shirts, working for $25 a night, there's so got to be something that you're seeing that's like, I'm going to work. I'm doing this now, but I'm getting somewhere, you sure. know? And sure. so- where is that? You know, I know because you have gotten there, and I think you're only, if you want to really look at you as a person, you're really only at the beginning. True. Um, you know, I really think that you're at the you're on the launch pad right now. So True. let's talk a little bit about that. Where is the business now? Um, yep. Well, actually, let's. You were working a full time job. Let's go back to like two years ago. Well, so I want to just hit on one more quick point, and I'll get to that. This is a, an, an interesting data point. Okay, so. Let me tell you where the public address announcing piece of my career went there. Working for the radio station, been there for three and a half years. I get a phone call from a 617 number. Hello, this is Matt. It's Randy Frazier, the general manager of the Boston Blazers. Who the hell are you? It is the new indoor lacrosse Blazers, franchise. man. Indoor right? lacrosse. Indoor lacrosse, right? And I, I, I don't know anything about it. indoor lax. I wasn't a lax kid, right? Uh, the Blazers existed at the Worcester Centrum in 1991. Who knew? The um, s- uh, senior vice president of marketing for Google, his name's Tim Armstrong. He's now the CEO of AOL, if he's not there anymore. Um, started a, a indoor lacrosse franchise at the TD Garden, and they were looking for public address announcers. One of my buddies who worked at the radio station, who knew another buddy at another radio station, gave him my name. I got asked to interview to be the public address announcer of a national lacrosse league team at the TD Garden. Drove to the TD Garden, walked in there, interviewed. Marketing people love me, hired me. We have good news and bad news. <laughs> Seriously, all these conversations, are, we, the good news is we'd like you to be the voice of the TD Garden for the Boston Blazers. The bad news is, and this is true, we don't have any money to, to pay, pay you. you. <laughs> right? Lacrosse like, problems. How about tickets? <laughs> You guys got tickets? How about some free jerseys, right? <clears throat> Work at the Boston Garden for free. Eight Saturday nights out of the year. I would drive to the garden, 
The only saving grace was I got free Sam Adams at West End Johnny's after the game. One night I bumped into Bill Belichick. I'll never forget it. And, um, uh, oh, we got free tickets, and I think I got a few free T-shirts in there somewhere. <clears throat> Two years later, it's now the third year of the franchise. This is important to me. I'm going to keep talking. Do you mind? Go for it. It's all about you. It's important. The third year of the franchise is kind of the make or break, right? If you're not financially soluble at that point, you know, there's all these business things that go into it. Um, Todd Refuse, the general general manager of the team, he used to work for Kodak. He was a high-up executive at Kodak, and he came in. A really, really good guy. And Krista Olson was his marketing girl. She now works for the San Francisco 49ers. That girl called me one day. I was walking through the radio station, and I'll never forget the tone in her voice. She was shaking. She goes, I don't know how to... I don't even know how to tell you this. I just got out of a meeting. She started crying. She goes, I have to let you go. <laughs> like, wait a minute. You're, I don't, you don't let me go. I let you go. I'm doing this for free. And uh, <clears throat> they changed the, you know, the ultimate uh, direction of their game presentation. Um, <laughs> 98.5, the sports hub personality. Um, oh, God, what's his name? It's off, off the top of my head. Replaced me. The organization went belly up the following year. That was the end of that. I parlayed that into a job at 98.5 The Sports Hub because it was closer to Boston. I got to know the control room producers at at um, I got to know the control room producers at the TD Garden who you know referred me on, on a bunch of stuff. In 2012, so I, this is actually really important to drive it all home. In 2012, um, Carl Bean, the voice of Fenway Park, died. He was uh, driving home. He had a heart attack while he was driving. It was very tragic, and I had bumped into Carl once at a Boston Blazers game, he would do audio for WBZ. I remember saying to him how much I really appreciated um, what he uh, did for me so many years ago at a Worcester Tornadoes game, right? Um, the Boston Red Sox now have what they called guest in the chair. So the guest in the chair thing was a way to be a tribute to Carl and his memory. And um, it was a rotating door of public address announcers that would fill in every night. And... Um, one night on Facebook, one of the Worcester Tornadoes interns who worked in the in the radio broadcast booth, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the Worcester Tornadoes interns posted a picture of himself in the press box announcing a Red Sox game. And I'm like, well, damn it. If the intern from the Worcester Tornadoes is invited to do this, maybe the guy who announced the games for the Worcester Tornadoes should be invited to do this. I burned up every contact on planet Earth. Okay, Tim, I, I can't begin to tell you how many people I called and emailed that had an at redsox.com email address. Okay, so let me tell you what happened. 98.5 The Sports Hub, I'm now an entry-level salesperson there making a little bit more money, but the sales stuff was always just such a grind, and it was never what I wanted to do. I was just good at it. Jimmy Stewart and Big Jim Murray, who are personalities and board operators at 98.5, two people I, I think very highly of, said, Oh, just, just email Larry Lucchino, the president of the Red Sox. Just email Larry Lucchino. I'll give, send you his email address. I composed an email to Larry Lucchino, president and CEO of the Boston Red Sox, with that picture of me and Carl Bean from 2006 in the body of the email telling my story. And I saved it as a draft and said, this is what this guy meant to me, and I would love the opportunity to sit in the same chair as him. And I click send. And then this is the sales guy and me taking over. And then I click send again. And then I click send. And then I was smashing the send button, right? Smashing it. 
I must have emailed Larry at least a half a dozen times. I'm exaggerating a little bit. Uh, my life changed uh, like 1.30 in the morning, sitting on my couch on a weekend, didn't have any gigs to DJ. And at this time, world record DJs is still a hobby. You know, I might do eight to ten weddings if I was lucky at that, at that point in my wedding DJ career. It was always what I really loved doing. But I'm chasing this opportunity with the Boston Red Sox. Larry Lucchino replied to my email and said, I admire your tenacity. Call me in the morning. Right? I pick up the phone. I call the guy. I have no hesitation calling people. That's easy now. I'm like, there's no way I'm actually going to get him on the phone. He answers the damn phone. Couldn't believe it. He goes, do you have any experience doing this? I said, well, yes, for the Worcester Tornadoes for four years, for the Boston Blazers for two. Uh, very comfortable on a microphone. He said, well, let's try the back door first. Said, okay. He gave me a bunch of names and email addresses. I don't know where you're going with that. Gave me a bunch of names and email addresses. This was his way of literally opening up the back door of Fenway Park for me. He said, email all these people and CC me. All the email addresses he gave me were all the email addresses I had been emailing anyway that never responded. Well, now, CC'd on the email is Larry Lucchino. I got a response immediately. I was told with only 11 home games left in that 2012 season, there was no room for me. Four o'clock on a Wednesday night, John Carter in the media room for the Red Sox called me at uh, about, no, it wasn't four o'clock. He called me at noon. It was Joe Castiglione night, okay? World-famous uh, baseball play-by-play uh, -play announcer for the radio piece for the Red Sox on WEI. They were honoring him for 30 years, 35 years in broadcasting or something like this. And their public address announcer had a situation, and they changed it up. Can you be at player parking at 4 o'clock to announce tonight's Red Sox-Yankees game on Wednesday Night Baseball, which had a big pregame ceremony behind it? I digress. It was me and 38,000 of my best friends at Fenway Park with Nomar Garcia-Para, my boyhood idol, sitting next to me, and Kurt Schilling on the other side of him. And I was live on the air on Nesson, introducing Joe Castiglione. Here I am. I've made it. I'm there, baby. I got a picture of me sitting in front of the, mic front of the microphone. I got a hand-signed uh, hand letter from Larry Lucchino with a check in the mail for $50. It was then that I said, this broadcast career ain't shit. <laughs> right? It's like... Right, well, let's say they do hire me to do this full-time, and I did eventually audition to be the full-time announcer, me and 500 of my best friends. Um, that was when, that was the day I can honestly say to you, checkmark, that's the height of my broadcast career right there. I don't think it can get much higher than that. And I really, at that point, doubled down on world record DJs. That's when I said, I'm going to start reinvesting. I'm going to start buying some gear because, heck, I can DJ a wedding on the weekends for way more than 50 bucks. Right. And I just want to throw out there, like, honestly, I'm kind of astounded listening to this because you and I have talked a lot and I, we're getting into a lot of stuff that we've never talked about before. Sure. Um, you know, people talk about like your net worth, your network is your net worth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once again, it's like must be nice. It's like, you know, going after these people and just saying, like, this is what I want and I'm going to get it and I'm not going to take no for an answer. Period. And just reaching out you're asking people for help like there's yep. a lot of people out there that are so willing to help right. if you just ask sure. and someone knows someone you talked about the six degrees of separation Don't like everyone's within your network yep. if you want to do something you want to start a business or you want to even just learn a hobby sure. just think about who do you know that has right. that skill set and just say hey you know can you point me in a direction it's never i've never heard the word no in my life i've only ever heard no for now Right. No is just a uh, step to yes. Okay. 
no, I'll call you later. <laughs> I, I can tell you some cold call stories and tell them blue in the face, but that's the whole point. What that sales career that I didn't want taught me was a couple of very important values. A, you want to make 50 grand this year. Here's how you're going to do it. You got to make, you got to close as many sales. I'm a firm believer that every kid that graduates from college should be chained to a cold call desk for one year. It, 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 if you have to crawl for that ball, man, right? That's literally how I looked at it. It's like, you've you got to scratch and claw your way to make as much money as you want. You learn a lot about yourself in that moment. Can I do this? Can I climb that mountain by myself? Because it's a lonely, lonely, lonely process when you're the only one making the phone calls, right? Um, the other thing that today as I sit here looking around at my business that I kind of I have a hard time giving myself credit because I'm just so I'm so I I, I don't I don't look at it though I look at the, the people around me as as the credit I, I don't yes I'm motivated yes I've worked hard yes I you know success has come my way in a, in a lot of different ways personally financially church etc whatever uh, every single business that I met with in my advertising sales career from 2008 to 2020 okay I had to remember what year we're in. 2020 taught me something every single person whether I knew it in the moment or not I was learning I was talking to everybody from the baker on the corner to the CEO of the local bank okay to the regional marketing director for Kubota tractors these are people that I was cold calling all day long I remember days I'd, I'd, I'd leave my apartment in Natick, drive to Brighton, leave Brighton, drive to Providence, Rhode Island, leave Providence, Rhode Island, drive to Portsmouth, drive back to Brighton, drive back to Natick, rinse and repeat, right? To just go try to meet with people and make money. Okay, so that was almost a an in-the-trenches MBA I was getting because I was paying very close attention. It's like, why is this guy going to give me $50,000 for a radio advertising schedule? Why? He doesn't care. Why? I can sit there and do what a lot of people do. We're the greatest radio station in Boston, and we have lots of ratings and blah, blah. No. you got to connect with these people on a real level. You're asking, for, you're asking for a piece of their business. Be real with them. Well, I like – I think of this a lot, but I think it's funny that you said, like, a, you know, the MBA. And I say, like, learning business in a book or in a classroom is like learning sex in a book. It's like the, <laughs> yeah, the information's sure. there, but you're probably yeah, yeah. not going to be good at it if you just read. Nope, it's in the you know, field. You've got to be doing in it, the field working. Ex- in the field experience. Right. Unequivocally. So fast forward. That's good. I'll quote you on that. To, all right, perfect. Yeah. That's good. Fast forward to February 2020. Yeah, so so my, my advertising sales career started at Citadel Broadcasting. I did two years in Boston for CBS Radio. Uh, 98.5 in Sports Hub, which I, so as far as I was concerned was my dream job. I had a nightmare of a sales manager. I hope Dan Elpern hears this one day. You were the worst. Oh, were you the worst? He'd tell stories. I said, well, I'm getting out of here. I need to get out of Boston. I reconnected with my old high school flame, literally at almost that transition point. And the day, the Monday after or Tuesday after I got married, I gave my notice at 98.5 the Sports Hub. <clears throat> Took a job at Comcast. Uh, selling for their spotlight division. So if you're ever watching Monday Night Football and you see an ad for Lanza Auto on it, Lanza Auto didn't buy a national ad package. They bought it locally from a salesperson. It was a really good product. I, I enjoyed selling it. Um, again, 
the sales pressure of these big corporations was insane. Jennifer Mann, I hope you're listening. Uh, I hope I never see you ever again. Um, and I like a lot of people. I, th I think you know this about me. I hate almost no one. I've got my, everybody's got their hit list, right? You got that like handful, like, you know, high school baseball coach, that bad sales manager. You got all those people, right? I don't care. Anybody who knows me intimately knows that that's how I feel. Left there, um, went to the Worcester Business Journal uh, on a referral from a, another dear friend and mentor of mine. His name is Steve Gillis. Connected me with the owner of the Business Journal. I looked at that job as a stopping gap, right? But now I was working for what was a mom-and-pop business compared to what I had been working in for the last seven years. Um, now, now, not only am I connecting with a whole new world of businesses, but I'm selling marketing campaigns in a business journal. Anybody who's listening to this, for 50 bucks a year, you can get that on your doorstep. You're nuts if you're not already subscribed. You don't subscribe, do you? Yeah, you're in trouble. You see this? You see this? <laughs> Just... By the time you walk out of here, Tim, you're gonna have a uh, you're gonna have a water cooler subscription. subscription. You're gonna have a yeah. I'm gonna sell I'm gonna sell you ten things that you didn't even know you bought before you walk out the door. Anyway, I digress. Um, it is Worcester business in a nutshell. Okay, when the Worcester Red Sox come in, who I now have a partnership with, wouldn't you know it? Uh, when the Worcester Red Sox come in and build a hundred and seventy million dollar baseball stadium, it's the Worcester Business Journal that says. Let's break that down for a minute and figure out who's going to pay for that 170 million bucks. It is a nationally recognized business journal. It was one of my favorite advert, not one of, it was my, well, yeah, it was up there. It was a little bit of a harder sell because you're selling a print publication in the 2010s. It's not easy to do, but it just had such a great niche clientele. These were the who's who of business owners. Our events, I made a ton of money selling sponsorship of events. Business Leaders of the Year, Outstanding Women in Business, their 40 Under 40 Awards, their Family Business Awards. It was just – and I worked for a guy who got it. When my, uh, when my wife and I had Vinny in 2015, she had a really, really bad delivery. It was really scary there for a little bit. She was in the hospital for five days after the delivery. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, I went to that first sales meeting back, and, you know, it's the little things. They presented me with a blanket with my son's name engraved on it, right? Or engraved, you know. Embroidered. embroidered. And it, wow. Well, I want to work harder for these guys because they get that it, it, that's way more important than selling a full-page ad in a business journal. That job, <clears throat> well, I will look back on, and I, I, I've, I'm, I'm obviously not there anymore. We can talk about that in a minute, but um, I'll look back on that with so many fond memories. There's a lot of quirkiness. It's it's journalists and, and, and you know, print salespeople, and it can be a weird and uncomfortable environment at times, but a lot of creativity and a lot of passionate people. And, and it's not about pushing the company stock. It's not about pushing the company stock. It's about, it's about making some money and helping, helping businesses in the community. I learned a lot there. So, um, but that's that. And at this point, you're working there. You are the where's DJ trivia or world record DJs, and how yeah. is it evolving? I guess so yeah, I kind of just spilled the beans there. No, no, yeah, it's good. Great how question. To talk a little bit about that. Where's the business growing, and then what kind of decisions did you make, and then what then to, then what happened? Sure. So in 2014, um, 
December 2014 was when I started working at the Business Journal. And at that point, world record DJs had been growing steadily every year. And by growing steadily, like I said, you know, we did five weddings one year, we did nine the next, and then we had, I think, at that point, 15 that we had to DJ. When I say we, I mean me. I was it. I was chief cook and bottle washer. You know, I designed my logo and went out and, you know, got a car that was advantageous to the business. I was storing all the gear down in my basement and filed for a limited liability corporation, and I thought I was the cat's ass, right? Um, it was a it was a hobby still. Um in 2015, when I um, got acclimated with the Business Journal, I met a guy by the name of Anthony D'Elia, um, who was, he owns Revelation Productions in Worcester, um, and he is, without a doubt, one of the brightest audio-video lighting minds. I mean, I know I haven't been around all of them, but boy, oh boy, does he know the world of not only DJing weddings, because that was how he started that business, but big event production. You know, he would do sales conferences in Orlando, Florida. They'd pay him $300,000 to, you know, truck all these lights and microphones and breakout sessions and all this stuff. Um, so he became kind of somebody that I looked up to in the sense that, wow, look at what world record DJs could be. Um, I started buying equipment from him. I bought lighting from him. I started to add offerings. I started to evolve the business. We're not just your reception DJ. Now we're your ceremony and reception DJ. Now we're your lighting tech. In 2016, we became your magic mirror photo booth guy. Ooh, right? But it, what, it, what it was was, well, shit. I can make more money by virtue of just having all of this stuff under one roof. One roof. I got somebody who understands it way better than I do. Um, I can hold down my full-time job. And this is important. I'm married with a kid. And my wife's a preschool teacher. It's like, well, with what she would make being a preschool teacher... I didn't want her to go back to work because we were just going to take what she made and fork it over to another preschool. So it allowed me to have this dual-pronged career, my full-time job, and then, you know, steadily growing my passion on the side. Um, my life changed forever. What day are we on? I play. <laughs> this was lucky. You all have to agree with me. Jeremy, probably, your brother knows this story better than me. I played in a golf tournament at Stowe Acres Country Club with my father-in-law, his brother, and a friend. And it was the Jim Biddy Memorial Golf Tournament. 225 golfers on two golf courses. If you know anything about Stowe Acres, they're north and they're south course. And it's put on by Hanscom Air Force Base. And it's all about helping military families. Who does not want to be a part of that? So I went. And afterwards, they have this big banquet with the highest-profile raffle prizes you can get your hands on my lucky ass won two airline tickets on jet blue for free thousand bucks worth of airfare right sweet where are we gonna go at the time i had hired my brother-in-law he had just graduated from umass dartmouth um, my wife's younger brother ryan and he was crucial to me in the very beginning he he was my tko dj's guinea pig how big could i get this to be where it's not just me DJing the wedding. Does it make sense? How do I get it to two or three guys that Scaling. I send out while I sit my ass at home with my kid <laughs> and send other people out to do my job? That year, Ryan had DJed, God, I think he did six or eight weddings for me. You know, I was increasing his pay. He was doing good. Not necessarily the same personality as me, but I groomed him from the ground up. 
taught him how to mix music, taught him how to MC, taught him how to smile when you talk, right? All these little things that MCs try to learn. I said, Ryan, we're going to Vegas, baby. Get on a plane. Now, I know where your mind went when you when I said, well, you're taking your brother-in-law to Las Vegas. No, Tim, we didn't go there. We went to the Las Vegas DJ Expo, um, which is called Mobile Beat is the name of it. Mobile Beat is an industry trade magazine um, that I've, I've followed here and there. Some good stuff in there. But anyway, here's 5,000 DJs. The TKO guy with 30 guys and the DJ Matt Majikis, right? Every walk of, of wedding DJ or, or club DJ or any kind of DJ is at this trade show. The keynote speaker was John Taffer from Bar Rescue. Never forget it, right? He's like, shut it the fuck down. He just he would just yell at us, and, you know, F-bomb. F if you've ever watched that show, you know what I'm talking about. Um, the the uh, head performer was Red Food from LMFAO. Okay. Right? Yeah. Everybody knows Red Food, right? Big fluffy hair. And at that hair, time, that right? was... Here's a fun fact. Red Food is the son of Barry Gordy. Barry Gordy founded Motown Records. Red Food... I learned from going to this trade show when he was like six years old, like Stevie Wonder and like James Brown and shit were like hanging out in the living room. Can you imagine that kind of upbringing, right? You're just, it's just in your blood. It's such a cool story. So anyway, we do all these things. It's all about how to own and operate a mobile DJ company. And I was just furiously taking notes, still have them. Um, and then they'd send you out to the trade show on the trade show floor. I found a booth t- titled DJ trivia. Now at the time, now, this is 2016, right? I think I got my timeline right. I had, at that point, been hosting trivia nights at the Gas Bar in Lemonster on Wednesday nights for three or four years. Um, I got connected with a company out in Boston called Pop Quiz. I'd PayPal some guy I had never met, 30 bucks a week. He'd email me some questions, send me some slips. He made a cute book. Fine. Um and that's how I did it. I would have to, every week, just kind of piece it all together and come up with my own game. DJ Trivia is a franchise bar and restaurant trivia business. Franchise model. It's one of a kind. There's nothing like it. I shouldn't say there's nothing like it. Everybody's been to Buffalo Wild Wings, and there's buzz time. And everybody knows of these, you know, stump trivias, these kind of like national services. But never a business that you buy and own a territory for. So I called... I called my wife. I said, um, honey, it's $3,000 to buy a franchise. Now, here we are. We just had a kid. You know, we're living in Fitchburg. You know, it's like, you know, and rightfully so. My wife's like, are you sure about that? Well, you know, it could, could be great. Went to the trade show floor the next day after walking the strip and having a few drinks and thinking about it. And uh, went down there first thing in the morning with my check in my hand, like a kid on Christmas morning. And it turned out that someone had bought the franchise Two weeks before me, guy down in Rhode Island, wedding DJ company in Rhode Island. And he just went, Whoosh. he goes, you can't buy this. It's already owned, but you can work for him. I'll send him your information. I started as, an, as a subcontracted employee of DJ Trivia. Patrick Wiley is the guy's name, owns Eternal Events. I think he changed the name. Doesn't matter. Came up from Rhode Island for a day, plugged everything in for me, gave me all the stuff that I needed. It was costing me more to run the game, but it was a nice, clean, much more professional game where it created this visual element in the restaurant, which 99 out of 100 trivia events don't. Um, And so I started as an employee. That's how it started for me. Um, From there, I don't even know how how it snowballed, but um, Patrick was owning and operating Rhode Island and Worcester County at the same time. 
and I've got all my fingers in all of the pies here, especially North Central Mass, but Worcester County in general from my radio days and my ad selling days. He called me and said, I'm tired of running Worcester County. I want to sell you the whole business for $7,500. Okay, $7,500. I said, I can't afford that. I, no way. He goes, 6000 final offer, and you can go ahead and finance it over three months. You just take it all over. You take care of all the crap and just send me the money. That's what I did. That was in 2016. Fast forward to 2020. Uh, I think we were about the second largest DJ trivia operator in New England. We had 16 trivia nights. We had four DJ bingo nights, which was the new product we had started to roll out at the beginning of 2020. It got so good for me that my side hustle, this $1,000 loan from my dad 14 years earlier, was now making me twice as much money as the Worcester Business Journal was. And I said, what? Am I wasting my time a minute longer? I've followed the likes of, I mentioned this to you beforehand, I have some social media people that I love. Gary Vaynerchuk is, is one of my heroes. All these businesses that I met with over the years, all these experiences being told to fuck off by, by those businesses, or here's a stack of money. All of the experience of growing this business kind of arbitrarily manifested in me walking into the CEO of the Worcester Business Journal's office with my sales manager and sliding my profit and loss statement across the table and said, guys, unless you can pay me that much money, I need to go after this because I will not be 55 and look back on 35 and say, shit, I should have gone for it. I did not want to live with that regret. It all, it all came down to I was doing this thing that I was good at, and that was fine, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I couldn't wake up at, you know, 7 o'clock every morning and, you know, brush my teeth and run out the door to go sell advertising and think that I was going to be happy doing that for 30 years. And so I rolled the dice. And so my last day, February 27th, <laughs> at the Worcester Business Journal, saying, look at this. I got this. I got this. People will always gather. There will always be trivia nights. There will always be weddings. This is perfect. What could possibly go wrong? Six weeks of bliss. Oh, it was less than that, right? It was February 27th. I think it was... I have marked on my calendar. It was March seventeenth. Oh, Mar no, it's, I'm thinking April. Right? Yeah, March. March sixteenth or seventeenth was the final. Was the final day of of, and I'm and I'm talking about sitting on my porch on a Sunday afternoon when Charlie Baker made that announcement, and my my jaw hit the floor, and I went, "Well, there goes that." Because if the restaurants can't be open to capacity at all at that point, uh, I I sure as hell ain't coming in there to host a trivia night, and it. It set the company back by about 80 to 85%. So erased 15 years of building it. So you have your first child. Your wife leaves her job. 2015, yep. You leave your job to take your business full time. Yes. And then 80% of that business gets cut off. The second child had been born in 20. God. Uh -oh. I hope my wife's not listening. 2019. Eva was was March of 2019. So now, so now here wife, I am. Two children. Wife, two kids. Apple of me eye. God, God. Oof. Get choked up. Uh, yeah, so here I am. Incomeless. <laughs> it literally incomeless. And my saving grace was I had that Worcester Business Journal job. Because they anybody who could collect off unemployment insurance, they turned they put you in that direction. So I started collecting off of that immediately, right out of Jump Street. If I had been self-employed, not paying into an unemployment insurance before that, I was going on the the P P E D or whatever P 
PUA, PUA, FBI, the CIA, whatever the hell it was, was the, the, the program that came out for self-employed people. So personally, I was staying above the bar because there was the extra 600 a week that was coming in, you know, it was part of the stimulus and all that crap. Um, so the mortgage was paid. Um, uh, I have no shame. We went out and bought a new patio set at BJ's because we were like, well, we're going to be spending a lot of time back here this summer because we can't go anywhere else. Um, so the the compound at home was great. And I almost look back on it now as the best year of my life. It's a There's some weird silver lining where you've worked every weekend. You were putting in 90-hour weeks back in the day, you know, between this job, that job, and the other. And now, God said, don't move. I mean, literally. And now, every Saturday from March 15th until, I mean, we had some business, and I did a lot of pivoting, and we can talk about that to try to keep the business afloat. But I spent more quality time with my family and my my two kids than I ever would have. I think I, this is like a perfect time to probably throw this in here, but I think you were the type of person, and I think highly successful, highly motivated people tend to be like this. You're going to find your win. You're going to find a win with whatever life hands you. Sure. You're going to look at it and say, how can I make the most of this? How can I make this a win for me? And yep. then just take myself to the next level or at least closer to where I want to be. So I, I got to commend you for that. Yep. Um, you know, myself, I think this was probably the best year of my life as well. I made decisions over the course of the last year, pivoted, changed. Yeah, and I just want to say congratulations on that. Yeah, but um, sorry, continue on. No, no, no. Going. And Tim, I, I've watched you are you know from a from from a from not from a distance, close up. You know, here we are sitting here talking. I mean, you're you're a more disciplined guy than I think I'll ever be. You know, I'll never give up. You know, sitting at the bar after trivia nights. I don't think I'll ever be able to give that up. But um, you know, to your point. Um, so w- really, when this hit, um, I'm a, I'm you know I come from a, a religious family. We're not nuts, okay. Leave, leave it out. Um, my mother works for the Catholic Church in Sterling, and immediately, you know, all these people are, are clamoring, going, how are we going to be able to pray? How are we going to be able to, you know, worship, you know, the way we're used to? And I rolled up my sleeves. I said, well, what else do I got going on? I was crawling through the ceiling of that church, running 340 Ethernet cables, uh, working with my pals at Revelation, who I, I took on a sales job with them at the beginning of the year to help pay for my health insurance. My partnership with Revelation is very strategic. We, we run in a lot of the same circles. I'm a good sales guy. They don't want the overhead, so they just pay for my health insurance, and it, it works out great. And if I can make some commission, I'm a commission-only salesperson. That's what I am. And, of course, there wasn't a lot of commission to be had when an events business gets shut down. This whole experience brought me closer to my church than it ever would have. I know every single microphone, every single cable and wire inside that church now. And the first time we started to light this up, when you see 120 devices watching, you now have a ticker for how popular your church is. You've never had that before. And now people are saying, this is so great. We love this. Please keep doing this, blah, blah, blah. Now it's a permanent fixture. That's how I kept the water out of the leaky boat, so to speak. I met with dozens of churches. Um, I live streamed three funerals last year. I hosted a, a rapper in, in my studio here to rent a green screen. We did a virtual comedy show for the Girl Scouts of Central Massachusetts. I was not rolling over and dying. No way. A lot of guys, you say, you know, the guys who are hobby DJs, you know, a lot of us are self-employed or do it as a hobby, right? I shouldn't say self-employed. A lot of them have full-time jobs, and it's on the side. They pack up shop. It's like, oh, well, all my weddings got canceled this year. This is my excuse to get out. They were just shit on sale on Facebook Marketplace. It would make your head spin. I should have bought it all, but I didn't because I didn't have any money. But anyway, <laughs> we pivoted. 
we pivoted, we kept the, the business afloat. And luckily, luckily, and or I should say we're blessed in the end, after a year of unemployment and all the craziness and trying to keep it all together, um, we were able to access some of the, the PPP funds and the mass growth capital grant that really allowed us to take a deep breath and know that our bills were going to be paid. I, I, you know, without getting into all that, right? It, it just, we're still here. And now with things really, the volume turning up, no pun intended, we are back in a big way and we're stronger because of it. Can we talk a little bit about a business called uh, Central Mass Productions? Ooh, big league tease. So we're not allowed to, according to uh, lawyers and documents that are definitely sealed tight on the other side of this wall. But um, Well, let's talk a little bit of just where, where are you going? Where do you see the business Yeah, yeah, going? great. Perfect. So uh, my partnership with Revelation, um, I've always just admired that. And so long story short, um, I always knew world record DJs had a shelf life. At the end of the day, when I named it in 2007, it was cute. Now, we're a production company. I mean, we really, I needed to get production in the name. World Record Productions sounds like we're the guys who print the book. It didn't work, okay? I needed to regionalize the business. I needed it to be more. Um, so, um, I'll spill the beans, who cares? I've been walking around with the shirt on. Uh, Central Mass Productions will be born. It, it is it is legally born, um, but on June first, world record DJs will be led to pasture, uh, with nothing but fond fond memories. I got it painted on the wall right over uh, uh, Jeremy's shoulder over here. Um, a DJ company is just that, DJs. A production company is lighting, uh, uh, photo mirrors, live streaming studio recordings virtual events and and the big thing the big thing that are we changing the tagline virtual events are going to be a part of our fabric moving forward and so cmp central mass productions will be the new brand we're rolling out websites t-shirts new van logos business cards all that stuff it is a nightmare of a process but um i'm going through it with my head held high because i know what the future holds awesome awesome yeah i'm I, we obviously we've talked about a lot of different stuff here just one more thing I wanted to hit on and kind of get your opinion on is, you know, people talk about the American dream, you know, making a living, taking care of your family. Sure. Is the American dream still alive? And what does that mean to you? It's modified. I, I'm exhausted by it. Maybe it's a generational thing, and we're all guilty of it on some level, right? Like, we can all look at the kid that's younger than us and go, look at that damn kid on his smartphone, and he's not making eye contact, and blah, 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 you know. I remember when, you know, I used to have to, you know. Dial up internet. Dial up internet, and I had to put out my AOL instant message screen, you know, away message. You know, I got that stuff. You know, you know, we were, and then, you know, my fa our father's generation was like, I listen to 45 RPM records in stereo. We're like, cool, Dad. You know, it, I, my father's one of my heroes. Um, it's modified. If you have an internet connection and a brain, you can be a millionaire. Look at Jeff Bezos, right? So, so people want to be like, well, Jeff Bezos is, you know, the, you know, what's wrong with, it? Well, yes, corporate greed, yada, yada, yada. At the end of the day, there's this very famous picture. I encourage people to go find it. It's a picture of Jeff Bezos with one of those monitors, the si monitors the size of a boat anchor, cathode ray tube monitor with paper everywhere, with a hand-drawn sign that says Amazon.com behind it. Now, you want to sit here and say that Amazon.com has completely destroyed the retail industry in this country? Absolutely, it's staggering what it's done you swipe right and you can have a teapot on your doorstep in the morning it's nuts but that 
is the new American dream. The old American dream was your dad's, right? right? I love fixing cars. I'm opening an auto body shop. Start a business. Start a business. There's not enough tradesmen. There's not enough skills. We are conditioning our kids to go into ungodly amounts of debt and graduate with a piece of paper that may or may not get them a job at a radio station. When I walked into that first radio station interview, all dressed up in my shirt and tie, and my my piece of paper that says I went to Webster University for $85,000, the first question that they asked me was, are you really in the Guinness Book of World Records? Yep. Uh, I see here you're, you own a DJ company. Uh, yep, yep. Do you know how to drive a stick shift? Yep, well, the Beatles are stick shift, so we need that. Uh, you're going to ask me any questions about my broadcast education? So I have lived the American dream now almost in reverse, right? I took that corporate job and I, you know, grinded it out or whatever. And and now I'm I'm a living testimony, I think, of how to, and Gary Vee, one of my favorite people, would say, do everything you can to keep that side hustle alive because you never know, never know what it could be. And so that's what I did. And my side hustle now, as I sit here today, is my primary source of income, my primary way of, of feeding my children, paying my bills, and going to Marshfield this weekend to play golf. Um, and so um, the American dream is still alive. It's very modified. And I will probably raise my kid a little bit differently than maybe maybe other people do just because of my experiences. I'd love for him to go to Money Tech and graduate and go straight into a two-year advanced mechatronics manufacturing program and be a purchase and sales guy to manufacture, you know, government wire and cable manufacturer making 125 grand a year by the time he's 30. I'd much rather have him go that career path than, you know, oh, well, I'll go to college to find myself, which we've all done. Okay, fine. But um, American Dream's alive. Everybody chill out. It's still there. You know, when people want to say, oh, boom, back in my day. America is great. It's still a teenager. It's learning. It's learning a lot lately. Um, and I think that um, it's naive to say that it's not there anymore. It's alive. It's just different. Awesome. How well, I do there? You, that was perfect. Good. Um, we're running out of time. I know you've got a you've got, got a a trivia another gig side tonight. gig to get yeah, to. Yeah, another, another side gig. You know, we're back. We're back. We lost 100% of our trivia locations. We're back to about 60% of that now, and it just feels good to be easing back into it. And um, I don't regret the decision I made uh, about a year ago now. And and I and I just want to wrap it up with your passion, your drive, whether you know it or not. And and I, I think it's probably good that we – this is a good, you know, what do they call it, the airing of the grievances or whatever. You've been up my ass about this <laughs> podcast, dude. Unbelievable. It's like, dude, we got, got this podcast. It's such a great idea. I'm like, yeah, what's going to be called? He goes, don't worry about that. We're just going to start recording shit. And you did. We, you and I had some really like well, some heated discussions where we disagreed on a lot of stuff. But in the end, now here we are. Right. And I and I got a maybe a little bit of a mea culpa. This was very, very, you know, constructive wherever you go with this. Why I'm glad you're doing it here is it's a proof that we have the space and the technology. Your brother's been very helpful as well to. Um, allow for this creativity to manifest itself in the form of whatever this ends up being. So I'm impressed by you. Um, you guys come from an awesome line of hardworking men um, and keep it up, you know, and I'll be a listener and hopefully a supporter moving forward. Thank you very much, man. Thank you for your, sp- I couldn't do this. I certainly couldn't do it without my brother. I couldn't have done it without you. You know, you're a mentor of mine and I'm very happy and proud to call you a friend. Appreciate it. Can I go have a drink now, please? Let's drink it up. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thank you.
Thank you for tuning in with us. We do this to share the stories of some of the incredible individuals in your community. All we ask in return is if you found value from this episode, please share it with someone else who may also gain value from the show. Please feel free to rate or review the show. Your feedback helps us give you more of what you want. Until next time, I'm Tim Lanza, and this was another Local Legacy.